0: Thank you. fire. Tales of the strange and unsettling.
1: This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 67. The Mothman Phenomenon. Part 1. The Onset. In the grand pantheon of American folklore figureheads, just a few legendary beasts stand above the crowd, rising to the status of icons. Monstrous and mysterious humanoids that have struck the odd combination of fear and admiration in the hearts and minds of people all over the world for over a century. While some may argue that the reigning champion is and will always be the big hairy man most commonly found in the forests of the Pacific Northwest, no one can argue the fact that no creature, no being, no legend brought with it more terror, generated more pure, unadulterated high strangeness, or left more damage in its wake, than the soaring shadow, the living Rorschach, the crimson-eyed curiosity, the Mothman. So let's go back, all the way back to what is currently considered to be the beginning of the otherworldly onslaught that would forever lock a sleepy West Virginia town into the metaphysical memories of Forteans the world over. This is the story of the Mothman. Late in the evening on November 1st, 1966, an unnamed National Guardsman sat sentry at the 1092nd Engineer Battalion headquarters. A 13-foot chain-link fence was all that separated the military grounds from the now-fabled TNT area outside Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The steadfast military watchman patrolled the area diligently, fighting through the admitted exhaustion undoubtedly experienced near the end of a 12-hour shift. He stopped to lean against one of the many brutalist concrete structures that make up the facility and lit a cigarette. Little did he know that he was about to witness the genesis of what may be the most bizarre series of events recorded in American history. A rustling in the trees just over the top of the fence drew his attention. He lowered his cigarette and focused his vision on the gangly branches of a large black oak that stood just outside the fence. Suddenly, something came into focus that baffled the mind. He would later describe what he saw as a large, brownish-gray, half-man, half-bird-like creature. It wasn't perched on or clinging to a branch the way that a person might. It seemed to stand fully erect within the tangled limbs. Startled, he dropped his cigarette, spun on his heel, and ran to the bunk room both to report the sighting and to get some much-needed corroboration. He burst into the small sleeping quarters and frantically called out to his compatriots. Get up! Rousing themselves from sleep like trained soldiers. It was less than 90 seconds before the stunned soldier returned to the scene with five fellow soldiers in tow. When they arrived, despite bathing the treeline in high-powered flashlight beams, there was nothing to be seen. Whether the winged wonder had fled or it possessed camouflage the likes of which even the military couldn't comprehend, can only be speculated. While this is the earliest report that referred to the entity as a birdman, several reports from the years preceding it can be easily connected. Just a few months earlier, in June of 1966, a local physician's wife reported multiple encounters with a winged apparition outside her bedroom window. In November of 1965, a boy raced into his house to report an angel that had been hovering over the retention pond behind their home. So do not think for a second that this Fortean firestorm was limited to reports of humanoid beings, because in March of 1966, a local housewife known only as Mrs. Kelly was waiting outside the Point Pleasant Elementary School to pick up her children. Having arrived early, Mrs. Kelly found herself with a bit of time on her hands. She turned the car off and stepped out to rearrange the groceries in the trunk. Once satisfied that space for her children's backpacks would be available, she reached up to close the trunk lid. And as the heavy Buick paneling swung down, her eyes locked on something unfathomable waiting behind it. Just there, hovering over the playground, was a glistening metal disc-shaped craft. An opening stood wide on the side, and just below it, floating in the air, was what she would describe as a man suited head to toe in shimmering silver clothing. Hanging from his head was an impressive length of silver hair. She stood frozen behind her car as the otherworldly being hovered, staring intensely down at the playground. She had no way of knowing just how long she sat staring at the creature but suddenly a crowd of children burst forth from the double doors of the school and pulled her attention. When she snapped her head back toward the playground, it became clear that in that tiny moment of distraction, the craft, and what was ostensibly its occupant, vanished. In an attempt to avoid upsetting her young children, she made every effort to put this event from her mind and carry on with her day. It wasn't until months later when something equally awe-inspiring took place in a ravine behind their family home, that the event came back to her. For a stretch of ten nights, she and her children witnessed a grouping of nearly a dozen impossibly bright shimmering orbs racing along the length of the gully in a series of imperceivable patterns. And the potentially ufological aspects of this phenomenon continue. In the same week back in June of 1966, more than a dozen customers inside Tiny's Diner, a popular restaurant in Point Pleasant, reported the sighting of a disc-shaped UFO above a clearing just west of town. Among those witnesses was the wife of a local deputy sheriff, who would make a full formal report of the incident. A month later, in July of 1966, Mary Heyer, who would go on to become one of the most important figures in this story, reported a similar sighting of a, quote, "...oddly round UFO," unquote, hovering over the Ohio River. On a beautiful fall day in October of 1966, an esteemed attorney from Point Pleasant named John Fusneverk was making a weekly trip along Route 77 in northern West Virginia with his young son. Suddenly, a gasp from the back seat got his attention. A quick glance in the rearview mirror revealed his son staring in shocked horror, both hands on the window glass. When his calls for an explanation went wholly ignored, he slowed to a stop on the shoulder of the highway. Turning in his seat to investigate further, he was met with an image that would change his perception of reality forever. Hovering a mere ten feet above their vehicle, was a circular object lined with what appeared to be windows, backlit by an assortment of differently colored lights. It hovered in complete silence. The car's occupants matched it. When the perplexed prosecutor finally got up the gumption to start the car with escape in mind, the craft began to revolve, casting kaleidoscopic images across the hood of the car, before speeding off into the eastern sky. These are just a small sampling of the UFO reports that came in from the areas surrounding Mason County, West Virginia in the weeks and months leading up to what is widely considered the time of the Mothman. With the notable exception of Woodrow Derenberger and his encounter with a bizarre otherworldly being that will receive its well-deserved deep dive. All things considered, it is hard to imagine the skies above Point Pleasant as anything less than a full-blown 40 and free-for-all. And for those living through this event, that could fairly be described as an otherworldly invasion, the turmoil was only just beginning. On November 11th, 1966, less than two weeks after the National Guardsmen spotted a quote half bird, half man on the outskirts of the TNT area, a group of friends from Blue Creek had an experience that would change them forever and bond the group of young men for life. Just days after the passing of Kenneth Duncan's father-in-law, he stood around the plot purchased for him in Reamer Cemetery, just outside Clendenin, West Virginia, with close friends Robert Lovejoy, Emil Gibson, Andrew Godby, and Bill Poole. They had the unfortunate but traditional task of digging the grave where Kenneth's wife's dear father would rest eternally. They went about their dreary task dutifully and were nearly finished when just as the sun began to sink below at the tree line, a winged brown humanoid burst from the treetops and dive-bombed the group. Originally believing it to be an attack by some bizarrely large bird, the group of grown men, almost in unison, screamed out and dove to the ground. The ostensibly avian oddity shot back up into the sky, and as the men began to rise, dive-bombed them once again skirting just above their bent backs. This terrifying pattern persisted for nearly five minutes, until just as the men began nervously brainstorming a solution from the prone position, the beast soared straight to the spot it had emerged from before the longest five minutes of the young men's lives. It vanished into the trees, and after a few moments, the men nervously rose to their feet exchanging bewildered glances. Shockingly, they collected themselves, and they finished their task before going on their way. On November 14, 1966, Merle Partridge and his wife would have an experience that turned the high strangeness dial up to the level that those of us with an undying adoration for the Mothman phenomenon are accustomed to. The middle-aged couple, who live nearly 100 miles northeast of Point Pleasant in Salem, West Virginia, was settling in for a relaxing evening of watching Gilligan's Island. Unfortunately, their viewing experience would be plagued by frustrating technical difficulties. Suddenly, the screen began alternating between its intended programming and a solid screen of static fuzz. When Merle stood to adjust the rabbit ear antenna for the fourth time in the last half hour, the TV speakers began emitting a high-pitched whining sound. They both clapped their hands over their ears, and Merle made for the TV's power switch. But before he could make it, their faithful German shepherd, Bandit, stood at attention and began to bark furiously at the front door. Shrugging off the dog's strange reaction, Merle turned to turn off the television, when the screen exploded with a deafening concussion. Glass shards and tube powder burst forth and showered the living room. As Merle's wife set off to get the broom from the kitchen, he retrieved a flashlight from the cabinet and headed out to check his grounds with Bandit at his side. Unfortunately, as soon as he opened the door, the dog shot across the porch and into the lawn, toward the wellhouse at the edge of the property. Staring out into the darkened yard, Merle squinted to maintain tracking the determined canine. Just as the dog slipped behind the outbuilding, his barking ended suddenly, and the owner spotted two red lights just above it. In fact, just as the red lights began to move, Merle couldn't help but notice that the entire world seemed to have gone silent. He called out for his beloved pooch. Worry crept into his tightening chest. He didn't know what those red lights were, but they were growing in intensity, in depth. He felt for a moment like he might fall into them. He worried terribly for the safety of his canine companion, but the worry in his chest grew to a swell of dread. The idea of taking one step off of that porch seemed beyond comprehension. A deep haze settled over his perception. Soon, all he could think of was returning to his home, to his wife, and going to bed. And he did just that. He walked into his house, and without a word exchanged, he and Mrs. Partridge walked up the stairs, into their bed, and slept the whole night through in their day clothes. The family's beloved bandit was never seen again. Just three days later, the couple was hosting a small barbecue in their backyard. They were joined by two couples from nearby in the neighborhood. Relaxing on the back deck and enjoying the unrivaled beauty that is West Virginia in the autumn, the group found themselves overtaken by an enormous shadow. Merle and his companions for the afternoon would later recount that the entire sky seemed to blacken almost instantaneously. It would be nearly a minute before the true nature of what they were seeing would set in. An object so apparently massive that it had managed to eclipse the sun sat hovering in the sky above them, and before the group of awestruck onlookers could fully comprehend the situation, the enormous aberration dematerialized before their eyes. Later, when speaking with Mary Hire, he stated the following. I can't even describe but to say it was humongous. You didn't see anything else but that and it was some kind of mechanized thing with a dull gray finish on it. It had a lot of portholes in it, a lot of rivets I could see. While Merle Partridge would keep his stories contained to those who experienced them alongside him for nearly four years, it should be stated that the area surrounding Point Pleasant was, at the time of these incidents, already in a state of excitement over an incredible incident from two nights before. An incident that would forever be considered the first true blue sighting of the Mothman. An incident involving two young couples out for a bit of joyriding in the TNT area. And it is there that, after a brief foray with a visitor from Lanulos, we will continue the story of the Mothman phenomenon. Howdy campers! welcome to campfire
0: tales of the strange and unsettling we are your hosts i'm ryan and i'm jordan
1: and now the debrief now the debrief oh man yeah this is a good one yeah i'm i mean we're finally getting into it right finally getting into Mafia. i mean this has been been something
0: we've been talking about for over a year and planning on like figuring out the way that we could do it and actually make it impactful and i think the only way to do that is by
1: splitting it up like we're doing yep agreed this is the first of four parts so or i mean at least four parts hopefully four i'd like to get in and get out with four (laughs) yeah (laughs) but no doubt you know this is this is a story with a long history of like sucking people in so it's and after like a week and a half two weeks straight of research on that i get it yeah like for real it's there's so much here like Everyone thinks like, oh Mothman is just the you know, the shiny metal guy with a nice ass. Like, that's not what's going on here. Like, there's so much more than just Mothman. Dead ass though. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> it's been drawing four TNs in for I don't know, when was that built? I think it was the early two thousands, wasn't it? Well I know the festival started in two thousand and two. Yeah, I think and it was I a little it was, before that. One. I was,
0: I was gonna say it was right. It was right around that point.
1: But yeah, if I remember it. Yeah. Any of you listeners who actually know, like when it was built, maybe the artist that built it, that yeah, let us know. For sure. I mean, that would be. I'm cool. not sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I've never. I've never really looked into that. I've, I bet that artist is bummed about the decision. No, t- no pun intended. <laughs> He's probably <laughs> bummed about the decision he made. I mean. On,
0: Maybe he was like, man, if I make this thing with a nice ass, (laughs) I bet it'll draw even more people in.
1: Yeah. I want my life's work to become like an Instagram photo op for girls with heavy eyeliner. The ass of the jokes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, there's a lot to this story. Like, there's Mothman, of course, and that's like sort of the meat of it. But it's inside this like nebulous, this just huge... Amount of Fortean phenomenon that went on in this area. Yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, with every, not just you know, and I guess yeah, that's why we're doing it like this. So widespread is because it's not just Mothman that you know we kind of have to tell everything. Yeah. Um. You know that kind of creates this bigger picture. Yeah. I mean, opinion. this is
1: one of. I agree this is i mean this is one of a few topics that we've had from the beginning that we just like we've kind of been almost putting it off because we wanted to make sure it was done the way it deserved to be done and we knew that that would be a huge undertaking
0: oh yeah i mean i'm i'm already (laughs) i'm already seeing how you know how this is going to be uh yeah yeah it's going to be tough but i think it'll be awesome in the end
1: yeah i think i mean i hope we do it justice and yeah, because it deserves more, you know. It frustrates me when people are like, they think that they're telling the whole Mothman story. Here's a in half like hour, twenty minutes episode yeah. on, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. No, there's so much, dude. Like, and more. I mean, other stories on the list like that. I mean, this is right up there with covering like Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. And covering like, you know, like Hollow Earth. Right, and like, we
0: even talked about like covering Bigfoot and doing multiple. Yep. Yep. Because I mean, there's no way that we could we could just sum all that up in a single episode yeah. either. Of course, but, like things that I are mean, like
1: that that are so big. Yep. I like the idea of doing like a flagship Bigfoot episode, and then like, because honestly, there are podcasts with hundreds and hundreds of episodes that only talk about Bigfoot. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much there. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, I I was pretty happy. I like this episode because it like there's almost no mothman in this story.
0: Yeah, I mean almost really none. There, there's really not. Like, yeah, besides the cemetery, I mean that yep. that one of that those first initial uh like sightings and then we get more into
1: talking about like more based and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, and that's a huge part of the story that a lot of people ignore. You know, they just talk about Mothman and they leave out the fact that his Encounters with Mothman were literally was literally surrounded like it was swimming in a sea of UFO sightings and encounters. Yeah, like and I don't see how anyone who reads the book, anyone who reads Mothman Prophecies by John Keel, should understand that Mothman is a small part of that story. There is so much there, right? Like, yeah. And speaking of that, I'm just gonna briefly run through the sources that I used. Okay. Okay just because it's they've been you know they've been essential so starting off of course with mothman prophecies right by john keel strange creatures from time and space also by john keel there's a ton of stuff in there for you know the, all the ufo sightings yeah the silver bridge by gray barker which was actually written before keel's book he was actually on it first um Real Monsters, Gruesome Critters, and Beasts from the Dark Side by Brad Steger. Ooh, that one's super cool. Nice. That's nice. actually from 2010, but there's some shit in there that, like, isn't in those older books that, like... That's awesome. You know, yeah. People he talked to, you know, decades after it happened who had stories. Um, And then Mothman, The Facts Behind the Legend by Donnie Sargent and Jeff Walmsley. Um that one's super cool that also has some like um, some interviews with experiencers that are sort of revisiting like ones that John Keel and Gray Barker were talking to back in the day but they have like you know things have changed for them over time they've had like further experiences and all this that kind of puts a new light on it and also the documentary The Mothman of Point Pleasant by Small Town Monsters is a great resource lots of like you get to see witnesses face to face and like, it's very cool. It makes it very real, you know? Right. For sure. It's so easy to think of Mothman stuff as this like distant folklore, you know, but like when you really get to see the faces of the people who, cause that's a huge part of the story is just how fucked up these encounters left I mean, these yeah, people. for sure. Yeah. They're people who had problems for life. After these encounters,
0: I mean, just think of uh, oh boy, what was it? Merle? Yeah, he lost Bandit. He did. He sadly he lost. lost Bandit. <laughs> I'm sure. Although, <laughs> sorry, I'm skip. I'm skipping ahead here, but the fact that the they also just nonchalantly had a dinner party a couple days later, like it was nothing.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a little weird too. <laughs> but I mean, they nonchalantly. Or more in like a hypnotic state, Slept just went upstairs and went to bed. Yeah, even in their barn yeah. clothes. That's what's weird. I mean, that's what like sells me on the fact that it, that they were in some kind of, oh yeah, I, under I would, some kind of effect. You I know? would have
0: to say so. That, like, yeah, that was, that was my first assumption is, especially as he was out there and he kept watching those lights grow like more, you know, brighter, yeah. like more impactful, more like more depth and stuff and felt like he was gonna fall basically into it yeah i feel like there was something is something happened during that time yeah for sure
1: some kind of hypnosis going on right yep yeah and who's to say those two red lights weren't mothman eyes i mean that's true yeah you know what i mean yeah or the thousands of
0: ufos that we talk about you know that start out as orbs and
1: yeah, fashion
0: themselves into a craft, you know. But I mean, who's to say Mothman's
1: yeah. not a UFO himself? See, there was yeah. I mean, who's to say? But like, <laughs> there was some weirdness with his with his report. There were yeah. two different versions. So at the time, the report he gave said that he thought the lights may have been eyes, right? But then later. Later, when he was when he was interviewed in like two thousand one, I think it was for uh, Jeff Wamsley's book, he was in there and he described this bizarre like the lights started like oscillating, like spinning, mm. almost like they were on like helicopter blades. Okay. Like, I don't know. It's yeah, very weird. So that screams like UFO, right? Right. Kind of just like rapidly rotating, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and sounds even more hypnotic, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure because he doesn't mention the like spinning in circles on the in the original interview he did with Mary Hire. I mean, you know,
0: stories like that'll kind of change as people remember things or recount it. You know, so many times that like these little yeah they've added little things over the time right yeah start to change or start to get added to it just for either more effect or they make themselves believe that that you know yeah like oh yeah this this also happened you know like i because i mean you think about something so so much so frequently and things like that like yeah it's it's easy for just little little bits of information to become either like falsified or like just even make yourself believe in something yeah
1: right I mean that's yeah I think that's just a natural part of doing two interviews that are like 40 years apart right oh yeah for sure yeah Mm -hmm. definitely
0: It's I was gonna say that's just such a one of the strangest encounters in my opinion yeah
1: you know I love that one because that's like true high strangeness oh yeah without a doubt for sure um. But yeah, next, not the not the next episode, but the next episode that I do, um, we're gonna like it's gonna be pure Mothman madness, awesome. like Mothman. I'm Encounters. looking forward to that
0: because I know the stories that we're getting ready to go into are some of the coolest ones. Yes. And my yes. yeah, I I
1: I think overall at least. So. And there, I'm deciding still whether or not. An additional episode is needed for all the Men in Black stuff that went on during this. Yeah,
0: I mean, because also when we talk about Injured Cold, I know we'll we'll talk about Men in Black a little bit too. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and the possibility of him essentially working with Men in Black or being one himself or whatever, you know, we'll, sure. we'll get there.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, there there is a lot of Men in Black activity too. Yeah, that a can, ton. We can talk about for sure.
1: And all the like. We could pair with that all the like weird shit that John Keel went through while he was investigating the all this. Yeah, true. And like, yeah, because there's a ton of that. I mean, that's a that's a fucking movie by itself. Just (laughs) all the weird shit that went on between him and Gray Barker and Mary Heyer and all the weird like future. He was getting like premonitions on phone calls and like, man. Yeah, there's so much crazy. crazy shit. Yeah,
0: man, this is, we're gonna end up doing this for like three months straight, and then be like, oh, "I know, man, right? It's Christmas." So now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll give ourselves the Christmas present of a break from Mothman,
0: <laughs> and then we'll do Mothman meets
1: Krampus. Oh, the crossover you never knew you needed.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> uh. Anyhow, I mean, I'm what I'm saying is like. I think we're going to do Mothman until it's done. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Why not? You know?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, why not just do the whole get it all out? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. We'll just get it out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just like I tweeted today, like I I feel like I'm swimming in Mothman and I'm so ready to get this like beautiful clusterfuck out of my brain I mean, and into a microphone. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it, 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 again for us waiting so long to do this. We have to do it justice.
1: Yeah, for sure. For like, sure.
0: There's just so much information out there that yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to cover it quickly.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of not interested in covering it quickly. Like I I like the idea of doing it like getting it out in a month. I like that for sure, but like, I'd rather make sure it's 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 correct, you know.
0: The show can be now called Campfire Tales of Mothman and the Strange and Unsettling.
1: <laughs> exactly, two ands. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to have a. Com- I don't. I don't think you're allowed to have commas in your. Subtitle.
0: I was gonna say, could we just throw like a semicolon, like "Tales of Mothman" semicolon, strange and unsettling. <laughs> I
1: Would mean, that it does describe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yeah, whatever. No, this isn't gonna become the Mothman show. Don't worry. No, there are plenty of those, <laughs> or at least shows named after Mothman, right? That actually do all kinds of other shit. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you want to you want to get into these encounters? Yes, let's do it. Let's. <laughs> okay. So the first one I covered was the National Guardsmen,
0: right? And so that this was one right around like the TNT area and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, this um, this military base is right up against the TNT area. Okay. And cool. for those of those of the those listening who don't know what the TNT area is. It was used to, it was used to house munitions during World War II. It's basically like this massive nature preserve that has these concrete domes, these like igloos, igloos, yep, spread out. Like locally, they call them igloos, um, but they're concrete domes that are spread out around the area that have they've literally planted grass and vegetation over the tops of the domes. And they did that originally to sort of mask the site from, like, from, you know, enemies in the air. Of course. So it wouldn't be like a bombing site. Because that Um, was
0: during, yeah, World War II, World War II. Yep.
1: Yeah, and it was a... Because it it was known publicly as a bird sanctuary. So from the air, because they planted the grass over the domes, it really just looked like a bird sanctuary. So... It's a weird spot. It's very weird. And, like... After World War II, it was retired. Except, there were always rumors that they were still keeping munitions in some of the bunkers. And eventually, they started renting the bunkers out to to chemical corporations to keep chemicals in the bunkers. And then it became one of those like environmental disaster sites, basically. Mm-hmm. Not like a disaster, but it was earmarked for extra funds to try and um correct any of like spills or leaks that went on there right and then
0: eventually went on to pollute the yeah the area like yeah badly, it, like yeah.
1: literally seeped into the water table and like it yeah it fucked up that area bad um but by the time we get to the mothman stuff this is like it's literally just a place where teenagers go to make out. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> essentially, that's what it is. Um and for all intents and purposes in the stories, that's what it is. Like a lot of people connect, you know, because people theorize that Mothman lives in the TNT area because right. it was seen it was seen around there of so course. frequently. But like it's pretty easy to make the jump. Like it's like Mothman was some result of some chemical spill or some, you yeah, know, experiment like some toxic. On, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to slip into comic book land, hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, that's, that's what the TNT area is. Um, so this national guardsman is working right. at this military site and it's just a chain link fence between the military site and the, tnt area okay so what he sees is actually in the tnt area it's in a tree over the fence across the fence um yeah and it's like it's pretty close to a mothman sighting mothman is often described as either brown or gray right which are easily confused in the dark right? of course yeah um i mean anything's gonna look dark in the dark <laughs> sure of course especially those two colors <laughs> yeah and uh he doesn't describe red eyes. It's just he sees like a brown winged human, which is pretty mothman.
0: Right. But it also, you know, I mean, from being that, I guess, that close, like also in in the dark, stuff like that, it could have just been a big bird.
1: Yeah, for it, sure. It could have been. I mean, he could have been heren. seeing like, <laughs> he could have been seeing like a a. A big bird, and then seeing like, because it's also specifically a black oak tree, and that they have very like tangled branches okay. and limbs. Mm-hmm. So it's already in this kind of like clusterfuck of brown, right? Already. So I I get how it would be. You know, it's easy pit with through pareidolia to like build a humanoid figure mm. out of what you're seeing, right? Oh yeah,
0: I mean, just yeah, that's a pretty pretty common thing it's just like seeing a you know like the shape of something against the wall that creates like a shadow of of a person yeah you know like
1: you're sitting in your bedroom and you see like a vacuum cleaner and a soccer ball and you're like oh shit who's in my room yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) definitely (laughs) um but yeah this i i feel like this sighting probably and i think um if i remember correctly when john keel talked about this sighting he said that he would have he wouldn't have given this one a second thought one person saw it and like everything we just said you know it's pretty easy to dismiss the only reason it stood out to him was because of what came after
0: okay you know what i mean yeah like that makes sense yeah being within like specifically that time of all of these other things happening yeah yeah that's possible
1: yeah, then you just kind of get tossed on the pile, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the weird. There's a pretty weird one from you know months before this in June of '66. Yeah, I was where gonna this, say that was the yeah the, the doctor's one, yeah. wife. Um, and she like for a week saw this thing outside her bedroom window. Like a couple times a day, she would see this winged humanoid just like floating outside of her bedroom window.
0: That would be a. That'd be something to
1: see, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, sort of creepy, sort of, right? sort of creepy.
0: <laughs> I mean, you look I mean, out and you see this thing just kind of floating outside your window, like that'd be terrifying. Yeah.
1: Like I don't, I don't mean by like you know by nature. I mean like the fact that he's outside the bedroom window, just kind of peering in. I mean that's
0: that's like one of my worst fears is like, and I, and Dude. we've actually talked about this on an episode, yes. like yeah. looking out the window and seeing someone looking back at me.
1: Yeah, that face just kind of fading in out of the darkness. Like just I mean someone being there in the
0: first place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that is terrifying. So imagine I was gonna say imagine that floating.
1: Yeah, exactly. That on a second story window. Right. Yeah. Um I was talking to my wife about this actually recently, and I think the reason why that's such like a fear of mine, the face in the window, is because Something my dear father did a lot when we were children, which was he would get home from work super late at night, like ten like nine ten o'clock, he would get home and instead of using the front door like a normal human being, he would go around to the window in the living room and he would just all of a sudden like bang on the window and yell at us in the living room, like uh-huh. yell through the window, yeah, and scare the hell out of all of us, yeah. And, like, by the time you realize you're actually not going to die, he's, like, laying in the yard cackling. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That,
0: that's, like, that would be traumatizing for a child, <laughs>
1: Exactly. Ex- and I remember him doing that as early as, I don't know, I was probably, like, five, six years old. He was already <laughs> doing that. <laughs> Jeez. But he thought it was hilarious. I and mean, got so course. much joy out of it. Yeah.
0: I mean, to terrify your children, I think, would probably just be funny in the first place.
1: I as a father, I can tell you it is. <laughs> <laughs> I often find myself like standing around corners, waiting for one of them to come by so I can jump out at them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's it's a so, it's
0: it's just a terrifying thought, you know, like just that whole thing, and like I said, for this to be like floating out, especially second story window, like yeah yeah that'd be a little bit more than that'd be a little scary
1: (laughs) yeah now the thing is this is one of many reports from this time period that there aren't a ton of details on so like i don't know if she was seeing it during the day or during the night okay i don't know if um i don't like there isn't a, a very deep description of it um just that she saw it outside her bedroom window for a week straight like every day she was seeing it multiple times now we can't rule out the fact that this woman was having a psychotic break
0: okay well and you know i mean that doesn't really help her like i don't know i guess the authenticity of her claims you know
1: yeah but you mean the lack of details
0: right yeah that and then i mean having like a psychotic break throughout this and stuff like that like there'd be a lot yeah. of you know just a lot of contributing factors to possible you know possibly seeing this
1: yeah i mean i think just like the national guardsman this is an account that probably would have been tossed aside if not for the you know yeah the next what would go on over the next year right Yeah,
0: because I mean there were yeah I was gonna say a lot during you know specifically like even before that from '65 you had mentioned a few as well so
1: yeah there was one in November of '65 that very much like the like the doctor's wife this um, this sighting doesn't have a lot of details basically a parent told Mary Hire a guy told Mary Hire that his son ran in one afternoon and said that he'd seen an angel floating over the pond behind their house. Mm. And the guy sort of raced out there with him and it was gone. He never saw it. But the boy described that he saw like a person with wings, sort of that classic like you know, angelic yeah, description. Um and a lot of these early ones are are sort of looked at in that light. Like when you get to um, Mrs. Kelly, who's the next mm-hmm. one—the mom who sees this UFO, right? The silver-haired, um,
0: yeah, I, that's being. that was the other thing. Is yeah, seeing like the UFO, and then, and in addition to the UFO, she also sees the silvery,
1: silver-haired person, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, no wings on this person, right? They're just kind of but, but it is flying. It's yeah. floating in the air. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Um But she was pretty religious. She was like she was she was a religious woman and she sort of looked at this in that light. I don't I'm not really sure how you turn a UFO and then later those like spherical pod racers <laughs> <laughs> that they saw. Yeah. Um I don't know how you turn that into you Know, r- religious I mean, experience, but to each their own, you know.
0: I-, I guess I can see, I can see to an extent of how one would
1: try to rationalize it as such. I get the guy with the long hair floating in the right. air, right? Yeah. Like, pretty easy to go, Oh, that's an angel, or maybe- especially if you're someone who's never read the Bible, <laughs> maybe that's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it could be. You never know.
0: He's out there in his uh you know his his little little UFO.
1: Yeah, just staring angrily at a <laughs> playground.
0: <laughs> Maybe there was lots of crime in the area. He was out there to fight crime. <laughs> He's actually a superhero.
1: You know, it kind of sounds like a superhero. Like one that would have been sounds like a member of X Force from the nineties. Just like silver suit, silver hair floating in floating, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what was. Might as well be flying around on the surfboard. (laughs) Silver Surfer was bald, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. After he shaved his hair. So like then like three months later they see these spheres in the ravine behind their house. And they see these for ten nights straight. They just go out on their back porch and they watch these, like, racing... And they call them, like... They describe them as impossibly bright. Like, super bright lights. Yeah. These spheres just, like, racing back and forth up and down this ravine. Like a dozen or so of them. And that's... I mean, that I put that in, like, high strangeness. Oh, yeah. That's for weird. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very odd. That's, like... Because... I, I wouldn't even consider that like spook lights because when you see those, they're like sort of gently floating. You know what I mean? You they're see them in like the distance, racing, usually. Like yeah, racing
0: back and forth. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's weird. That's very weird.
0: That that would be super cool to see, though.
1: Yeah, it definitely would be.
0: <laughs> now, yeah, I was gonna say, and that. So, and that was, so that was over the, like, was that the one that was over the 10 nights that they watched, like those, those orbs kind of. Yep. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure like I was, I was on the same page there.
1: Yeah, that was June of 66. Okay. Awesome. That was when they saw that. And then the same, in the same month was when over a dozen people in the diner, saw a ufo over a clearing
0: and it was the wife of the sheriff even like made a statement and stuff that she had seen it yeah the
1: wife of well the wife of a sheriff's deputy oh okay yeah yeah but yeah he she made a, a full statement there's there are like copies of it that's awesome yeah and they i mean i think it was like 14 people including the staff of the diner
0: See when and, when so many people see these things outside of mass hysteria and stuff like that, like I feel yeah. like it, it holds like a lot more credibility. Yeah, and so Always. yeah, and especially you know, and and I don't I don't try to use like uh, you know like status and stuff as a as a is a means for like credibility, but the fact that you know like her status as being the sheriff's deputy's wife, like whatever else. And also making an official statement on like what happened and everything. I yeah. think also adds a little bit more credibility to it.
1: Yeah. I would have to agree with that. It, I mean, you always wonder when you hear the, especially older stories, um, when you hear them, you think like, well, was this like the town drunk? Right. You know of what course. I mean? Or yeah. was this, was this someone who had just dropped acid? you know what I mean? Like,
0: or someone that you would expect, like normally know and expect to generally be pretty level headed. Like, you know, yeah. Not known to um, tell tales and stuff like that, whatever else.
1: Exactly. Like, you know, you don't want to get in a, in a, you know, Patterson Gimlin type situation where you're like, this person is known for faking shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yep. Um, but yeah she definitely i think lends a lot of credence to this sighting
0: yeah I, um, I definitely agree for sure
1: and then the next month you have mary hire's experience who like mary hire you're gonna get to know very well as this story continues very well she like she might be the most important person that isn't john keel in this whole story yeah like yeah, she was a reporter for the Athens Messenger and became she sort of became keel's contact person in Point Pleasant and like a very close friend of his right. over the year that he was there um but she talked to i mean she claims that she that she gathered she gathered somewhere in the neighborhood of five hundred sightings and reports that's crazy. Yeah, that's a lo- between, Yeah, That's a lot. Yeah, between sixty-five and seventy-five, she gathered five hundred reports. Jeez, yeah, which is incredible. All from like the um, West Virgin, like Northern West Virginia, Southern Ohio, that whole that little region right there.
0: That's some like hard dedication to the cause. Like,
1: <laughs> yes, it <laughs> that's really just is nuts. Yeah, I'm. I cannot explain to you how upset I am that Mary Heyer never wrote a book. Because, like... I mean, Keel did it for her. Yeah, I mean... Sort of. She's a major player in the book, of course. But, like... I would have loved to, to read a book from her perspective for yeah. all this. And it's funny, because, like, when John Kill first, first met her, I think the quote is, um, he thought she was just, like, a, the, a local busybody. You know? And then he he said that um, it wouldn't take long before I realized I I had never been more wrong in my life. <laughs> like yeah. he ended up. Yeah. He ended up having like a ton of respect for her. So she's, but yeah, she has this sighting in July of 66, Uh, quote, oddly round. UFO. I was going to say
0: the oddly round one. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's, that's a weird kind of way to put it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like,
0: but I mean, you see, you see, like a craft. Normally, you don't expect it to be like spherical, in most cases.
1: I guess so, oddly round in comparison to a a human, like a terrestrial aircraft, right? Right, That makes yeah. sense.
0: Like, oh, yeah, it was oddly round. You know, yeah. You wouldn't expect <laughs> I, it to be round and flying, but yeah, it was.
1: Yeah, that. Yeah, okay. You're right. You're right. When I, every time I read that, I've thought like odd as opposed to uh, all the other UFOs you've seen (laughs) like
0: or slightly differently rounded than a normal rounded object (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) who's to say I don't I mean I don't know what exactly she was referring to specifically but that's what I would imagine you know
1: if only she'd read if only she'd written a fucking book book.
0: yep god we might Um, we might know at this point
1: yeah and then um okay so the next one that I chose was John Fusinovac right Who I, I think spell has spell his
0: name and I think I butchered just how'd you spell it <laughs> F-U-S which is probably not right already uh-huh.
1: N-I-V-O-K <laughs> no F-U-J N-O-V-A-K uh
0: okay that yeah that
1: yeah checks out definitely definitely Eastern U- European yeah um but yeah I think he had next to Merle Partridge and his wife's experience I think this was the strangest from the episode
0: yeah so I'll, I mean if you if you want to kind of recap it you can but I was just gonna say like what I found most off-putting about this is because obviously I mean you know he's he's like staring at this thing like basically you know just as it's silently moving and doing its or silently kind of hovering or whatever. Then all of a sudden it starts casting what, like kaleidoscopic or whatever. Yeah. Like what
1: was it? images on his hood? Well, it's like, um, it's just the lights from the window. Okay. It creates like a kaleidoscope of colors. Uh, There we go on the car. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, which I mean,
0: that's, that's pretty cool though.
1: Right. Yeah. It's yeah. It's awesome. And like the kid spots it first, and I, okay, so here's what I what I wish I knew. I every time we get into UFO stuff, it, that's like I have a list of things I wish I knew. Um, but I I wish I knew because the kid sees the the craft first. That's what initially gets the dad's attention. Is that the kid is silent, won't answer him. He's just kind of he gasps and he looks back and he's glued to the window, staring out. Right. I want to know if at that point the UFO is already over their car or if the child's attention on the UFO draws is the UFO's attention.
0: In. Yeah. Yes. That's, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, because in, in a lot of cases and a lot of stories, talk about how aware these objects seem to be of those witnessing Observing them. Observing them. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I I mean, that's that's definitely a good question because I feel like his just the notion of it being there his him being able to like you know at least spot it or whatever and them like having that like whatever i mean i'm assuming and there's there's which i don't know how you how you could really how they would be no. so aware but right yeah um unless there's just like a they have like this meter or something pops up or this like you know alarm that goes off when someone sees it we've been spotted Dude. It's all in the mind. Oh I know, I know. It, it definitely uh, yeah. is, yeah, for sure.
1: Conscious contact
0: yep. all the way. For sure, for sure. So yeah, I honestly I think that yeah, that could that would definitely do it.
1: Yeah. Um but it's hmm. I mean one of the things that Keel was doing when he was there was coming up with these ways of like signaling UFOs and trying to draw them in and like and all that cool shit. Yeah. That stuff that makes ufology of this era so cool like people actually trying to communicate with them and stuff i mean yeah um i feel more and more like ufology is now is just like guys sitting around on youtube talking about fucking propulsion systems yeah instead of like out there mixing it up trying to like trying to figure out what the hell is going on um but stuff from this era I love I love the idea that the kid, like, drew it in. That's kind of how I like to play it out in my mind, mm-hmm. right? And then by the time the dad stops the car on the side of the road, the UFO's hovering, like, ten feet above the car. Yeah. At that point, terrifying. It's, it's locked in. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine stopping your car, and you, like, go to look back, and you realize you're in a shadow, so you lean your head back. You look up out the window, and there's... Imagine just seeing a craft that close... There's a story that I came across that I didn't include in the story this time of a woman of a woman whose two cows were crushed by a UFO. (laughs) She's standing. She's standing in her yard and watching this UFO. And it just comes lower and lower and lower until it just drops and crushes two of her cows. Dang. Yeah. 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 So imagine it 10 feet above your car. Just sitting there like sort of idling. Yeah. Over top your car.
0: Yeah, like just I mean, I'm even like putting myself in like that situation, like you said, like looking out the window and you just kind of look up and all of a sudden you're looking at
1: the bottom of this craft, like Yeah. Dude, yeah. That'd yeah. be a and that'd they, be a trip for sure. He and his son just kind of freeze, right? I mean, they are like, probably entranced by it. Yeah. Could have been. And then he said, by the time he got up the gumption to turn his car back on, and you know, with the with the idea of leaving, the it's that's when the UFO started to spin, and he could see like because he said every window on the craft, every whatever square window, whatever it was, every had a, was like a different light color, different colored mm, light, yeah and so when it started spinning it just creates this like crazy disco kaleidoscope effect going over yeah. his car and yeah and then it just like zooms off i just love the idea
0: of getting to see like the windows and the crafts like because that reminds me of the barney <laughs> and betty hill story where they're yeah. like looking down at them and they can see them in the window <laughs> just,
1: <laughs> hey guys like sees one of them taking a shower and they're yeah. like, Oh, oh shit! Just, this should have been in frosted mode. <laughs> yep. I can't help but think that's so fucking stupid. I, the windows in the craft.
0: I don't, I like, don't know. I, I like the idea of it. I don't think they're necessary. And I mean, cause I mean, there's also stories of crafts that are completely like solid, solid, but like completely it's, like clear. You know, like stuff like that. Like you, you know, it, from the inside, you can see you can see everything. So I don't know why they would need windows, Right. but yeah, it's.
1: What I, I mean, I'm say. fine with people seeing windows, but I don't see how anyone could believe that these crafts have windows and also support the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Like, I don't know how you can balance both those things because there's no way with that something with like if it's an actual window. There's no way that's capable of interstellar travel. Yeah, but they use them for sightseeing. I mean, if it's like a view screen,
0: That's probably what it is. It probably just turns that, like, area invisible, clear. Right.
1: But what I'm saying is if it's an actual window, (laughs) yeah, then there's no way that that's leaving the atmosphere. Like
0: the portholes described in the, yeah. The portholes and the rivets. So many. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, there are a lot, you will see as we go through the story, though, there are, especially next week in your episode, there are lots of details that. Very terrestrial details on these supposedly extraterrestrial crafts. Right. It's of like. Yeah. Like doors that swing open on hinges, and like. You know what I mean? Like all kinds mm-hmm. of. All kinds of stuff like that. It's very common.
0: It is. It really is, but you know i try to like look past some of that stuff <laughs> yeah i know you do because <laughs> i mean you know like i i would assume any normal craft like they just they're there like or it's just yep. like they walk up to it and then just are able to pass through it or something like sure you know i i doubt they like knock on the door three times and whistle a little tune <laughs> and
1: like they have a little guy somebody's and, Pop! Somebody out. spins one of those submarine. <laughs> yeah, they're handles. cranking it open. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: don't, you know, but that also, I, don't, I guess that that humanizes it a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, also kind of defeats the the purpose, like the overall purpose of what we're talking yeah. about. So I like. Yeah.
1: all I'm saying is at least give me a damn Star Trek door. You know what I mean? At least make it like a, sh- right? And it opens. You know what I mean? Some something that's going to convince me that thing could fly in space. Yeah,
0: oh, I agree. But I mean, there's going to be lots of like, I don't know, like it once it once it closes, it probably seals itself some incredible way. Like so, and like it could literally be like a house door that just like. Has like a whole <laughs> has whole, something else on the other side, exactly. You know, and like airtight seals everything.
1: Who knows the length? The length you nuts and bolts people will go to make <laughs> it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love hairless. it. No, I I'm like, I kind of, I don't know. I've I've come around to I like I like the fact that, the, that that's the way you you think about you know, UFO phenomenon. Right. Cause it's like, cause that allows our, our show and our partnership to display, you know, two sides of this thing. Yeah.
0: I mean, um, of course, like, you know, I, I have, I have ideas of what I think things could be and should be. Yeah. Most likely are. But at the same time, like I also try to look at some of these like traditional cases and sightings and things like that. And then also like, I mean not everything is gonna be the same and throughout time like things are gonna be different, um, you know, whatever. But Yeah. Or just the way that people see and perceive things at different areas in time. Like back then, you could see what appears as a window, and now mm-hmm. if we were to see it, it could be perceived as something completely different. You know, just right, because so, that's that's all
1: they kind of know to understand yeah. like things, right? And that I mean that and that could be that could be expressed two different ways like some people say that as support for the idea of these like extraterrestrials using like screen memories right this like way of making the experience palatable for the for the human Yeah that's true too right Yeah um and then some people fall on like the the co-creation thing where like the reason it makes sense the reason it shows up in a way that makes sense to you is because your brain helped create it. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, it's like an intermingling of your consciousness with whatever yeah. the other. For sure. Yeah. I I mean, I'm not going to like, cause I hate people who think they know yeah. what any of this shit is. And I think it's really important to, at the end of all your speculation, at the end of all your like long conversation to say, but it really could be anything. You know what I mean? Like, just it's important to end with, but who knows? Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, after Fuzhnavac, we have the Gravediggers. Right. Which is arguably the first sighting of Mothman, Mothman. Specifically, right. Like, now, the problem with this is this sighting... With this date, it's kind of, it's the only place it existed for the longest time was on the, like, chamber of commerce website for this town. I think it's Clendenin? Yeah, it was Clendenin. Yeah. It was the only place, literally, on the internet, this was the one place that mentioned this. Hmm. Sighting and it claimed that it was the first. So it was probably like somebody years sighting. down the line.
0: Oh, my grandpa told me this story about all this stuff that happened back in these days.
1: Was they, yeah, yeah, could have been. And I was listening to Um. I was listening to Astonishing Legends. Great show, if you haven't heard it, go check out Astonishing Legends. But um I was listening to their their take on the Mothman a while back and um, Scott the host Scott he he's the one who found that this was the only place that it was right and he he mentioned that he mentioned that even on the like Google map like of Clendenin, there's a little place that you can hover over and it says first Mothman sighting really so yeah that's hilarious so like someone in the town went to that trouble to like (laughs) you know like they're trying to get the rep for like this is where the mothman was first sighted so i don't know how real this sighting is it's kind of become like reported on moss since okay um but Hmm. i know it started there with the chamber of commerce website for clendon that's fair um, I mean, it could be but, just their their attempt, yeah, their, to their little claim to fame. To fame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the thing is, if you believe the National Guardsmen, that was November first. That was a full ten days before. And if that yeah. if if what he saw was Mothman, then they still didn't have the first Mothman sighting. Hmm. You know. Which I like the idea that the first Mothman sighting took place in the TNT area in Point Pleasant. Like that's where I want it to happen.
0: Yeah, because especially that's where we return to here shortly.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's where we're gonna be for a while. Um, but nonetheless, this was a cool story. Yeah, no, of, it, it is for sure. Know. It's especially the fact that it's like dive bombing at them. Yeah,
0: and yeah. goes on for five minutes straight. Yeah. <laughs> that's a long time I would just stay on the ground like at that point I don't even know why they kept trying to get up did you hear that static? yeah what was that? that was weird I have, I have no idea we're being contacted dude they know
1: they know fucking Mothman <sighs> uh, alright dude this shit's like getting in my head yeah the Mothman stuff it sinks in dude awesome I know, like, when the Kryptonaut dudes did Mothman, they had some weird shit go on. Like, Rob Morphy's mom had, like, visions of butterflies when she got dizzy and shit. And, like... That's weird. Lots of... Yeah, lots of weird stuff going on. And he he kept having, like, um, notes that he had taken on the episode Disappear, huh. and he couldn't find them, which was a thing that happened to Keel all the time, too. Like... Yeah. It's a weird story, man. That's weird. Yeah, I don't. I think in that situation, five minutes of all that, of being like under attack, I don't think people realize how, like,
0: I mean, five minutes is a
1: long time. Yeah. I mean, that's a round in a professional fight.
0: Yeah. And especially when you're being like almost like physically tortured. I don't even know yeah. if it's like physically tortured. I think it's emotionally tortured at that
1: point. Yeah, exactly.
0: Because it's not like doing anything, it's just coming at you and you're just, you know, making sure you stay on yeah. the ground, I guess.
1: It's that feeling when like a dog is growling at you or like when uh like when a little kid is holding a rock in their hand, like they're gonna throw it at you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you're like, uh uh, uh <laughs> don't, don't do, do that. It. Don't <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah but that for five minutes man, yeah yeah it's intense yeah frig that exact- i don't i mean hats off to them for getting up and finishing digging the damn grave yeah i would I been have been out I, at that I'll point say,
0: man i would have been like yeah yeah we'll uh yeah bye <laughs>
1: bury this dude somewhere else <laughs> yep just throw him in the back of the truck let's go <laughs> But yeah, that's, it's a crazy, that's a crazy sighting. It is, for sure. It's not an exciting, that's an encounter. Oh yeah, it's definitely an encounter. Yep. Yeah. An odd one. And And five minutes, they had to get a good look at this thing. Right. You know? And they they said it was a person. A person with wings. Hmm. So, uh, obviously a winged humanoid. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Also, this wasn't in the dead of night. This was, like, as the I, I would like approaching is, sunset. Right,
0: yeah, this is, this is like, during the day. Like, sun's still out and everything. I mean, they have to dig a grave, so...
1: Yeah. Yeah. You do that during the day. I'm, I, I would, at least. Yeah. Unless the grave already has a casket in it, then you're probably doing something you shouldn't, <laughs> and then you do it at night. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. depending on what you're doing... Yeah, depending on the goal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then you know we wrapped up with the partridge couple, yeah, yep. who we What's we who already talked about, about. them, yeah, yeah. Um, but their second encounter, the one that they had when they were having a barbecue, that shit is nuts. That's some like Independence Day style shit. Yeah, like yeah, it was this like- craft that they saw was big enough to block out the sun, right. I mean, yeah, that's So obviously it had to be very
0: low. You know, it had to be it had to be low enough to cast like such a big shadow over this area. Yep. And the fact that uh yeah, I mean everybody everybody's seeing it. And then all of a sudden it basically just dematerializes.
1: Yeah, that's the cool part. Is you know, you know that every time we have a ufo encounter i'm always like but how did it go away right like no one ever says how it leaves i mean sometimes you You know know? zipped away or yeah yeah Yeah. you know but that's nice when people include that right like a lot of a lot of encounter stories also encrypted encounter stories people never seem to finish the story like i need to know if you looked away and looked back and it was gone Mm -hmm. or like you saw it like fade into the you know what i mean but this they specifically say it like dematerialized in front of them it just yeah that's crazy sort of evaporated mm-hmm. those are wild.
0: those are definitely the cooler types of sightings i think yeah
1: now the question there is is this like active camo or is it like that's a good question is that's actually, what i would assume is it or is it actually like fading back through the veil that's true you know what i mean that's true it could be either
0: yeah i mean especially like you know maybe maybe these alien crafts or otherworldly crafts can create a rift you know and then that rift allows them to be here and then gone the next second right yeah um you know that yeah like you said that basically through the veil like they're lifted for a short period of time
1: huh yeah
0: that's possible I like the active camo though, just because it makes it seem like so much like I don't know, so Full much cooler and right, yeah, it's way more yeah sci-fi. But I I love the idea of like you know rifts and veils and
1: you know like stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, this is this story that we're exploring is what inspired Keel to come up with the concept of a window area. I mean, you got to keep that in yeah. mind. Like, this is not like a gentle parting of the veil this is like throwing the damn window open kicking it through yeah like there's so much shit going on in this place Mm -hmm. and like you'll see when we get to when we get to the two couples in the TNT who encounter Mothman it's like rapid fire after that it's like an encounter every two days for a fucking year yeah like there's so much yeah sometimes there are multiple encounters in one day like it's dude it's crazy yeah it's a crazy story i'm so excited oh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward going. to
0: it i think it'll be it'll be awesome as we deep dive more and uncover a lot more information yeah and hopefully you know, teach everyone a, a bit more about you know what's happened and you know why this is what such hasn't a not happened exactly or what hasn't happened yeah
1: yep yeah I'm, dude, I'm excited for next week to get into injured cold. Yeah,
0: I mean that's been that's been one I've been wanting to talk about for a while. We've talked yeah. about injured cold many many times on multiple oh, yeah. episodes. Referred to, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So absolutely, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. to Actually, bring it to light. Yeah, agreed. Make sure to you know tune in next week to yeah to get some more two. of this. Yeah,
1: yeah. We're gonna try to cover every angle that we can. Like, there's a lot to
0: it. As long as it's not a three-month-long special, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was joking in the beginning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I promise it won't be. It won't be. It might extend past the end of October, I but mean, it won't yeah, be three fine. months. Yeah, yeah.
0: And we've got lots of lots of spooky stuff, you know, in the works for October.
1: Oh yeah, we have so much going on this month.
0: So outside of this, uh, this uh, or these regular episodes, normal episodes. Make sure to tune in. Check the you know check the calendar and all the socials, see what yep. uh, see what we've got going. Uh, we also have more stuff just kind of randomly dropping. So be on the lookout. It's gonna be yes. a very very busy month for us, but hopefully <laughs> an awesomely rewarding one for you guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're just trying to pour all the spooky content we possibly can into your ear holes. You want to infest those ear holes with all the spookiness. Exactly. That's what we're here for. Infesting earholes. <laughs> and that concludes episode 67, The Mothman Phenomenon Part 1, The Onset. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on.
0: We want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials at Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and
1: unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and and trust trust in the the unknown. unknown.